VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Thank you for tuning in. I have a special announcement before we get started with today's show. It's a big day. This is the 100th episode of Danny in the Valley. We have hit the century mark. How about that? So I just want to take a moment to thank you guys for listening. It's been a long, winding, super interesting road, and we've had some really interesting people on the program. Everybody, We had Bill Gates. We had Mark Andreessen. I've gone out to fields in the middle of nowhere to cover drone test flights. I've had people on the show doing all kinds of different stuff, like growing meat in labs, firing satellites into space, manufacturing psilocybin, making flying cars. And the best part is, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. So I just truly, really wanted to thank you for coming along for the ride, for all the ratings and reviews. Uh, And if you haven't done that, take a moment, do it now, please, for me. It really, really does help. And all the feedback, the emails, etc., it's great. I really enjoy doing it, and I will do my best to keep tracking down interesting people and bringing them on the show. Speaking of which, that's a perfect intro to today's program because, ooh, we have a good one. So let's get to it. Yo, technology, what is it all about? At a uh, Chinese concert where the singer Jackie Chung from Hong Kong went to China and sang at four concerts. I think 23 people, criminals, were arrested as a result really? as a result of uh, facial recognition being connected to the criminal database. Uh, I think people just didn't expect. These are people who are most wanted. I think if you were to ask a Chinese citizen, what do you feel about this concert that arrested a lot of people, I think you will get uh, near unanimous feedback that any loss of privacy with the benefit of security by arresting criminals is a trade-off people would put up with. And in the U.S. or Europe, if you do that survey, you may not, you probably will not get the same answer. Yeah. This week on the program, we have none other than Kai-Fu Lee, who is the former head of Google China. He's the founder of Cinovation Ventures and the author of AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. Now, there is a good chance you have heard of him because Lee is one of the most prominent figures in the world of artificial intelligence. And he has a ton of interesting views and predictions about what AI is doing and will do to the world as we know it. And coming from Google, he has a lot of the American 
perspective and he's also based in China so he has the Chinese perspective and there are very very different approaches to the development of this very very powerful and some say very dangerous technology so anyhow I've been hounding him for months I finally caught up with him in LA and we sat down so without further ado I give you Kai Fu Lee on this our 100th episode of Danny in the Valley so first of all, thank you for taking the time. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, so I have lots of questions. I guess the first one is just a bit of historical context. So if we go back to like 1950s, the Turing test, and many waves since, it does feel like there's been many false dawns with AI. Yeah. Why is this time different? Well, the viable commercial applications, uh, the clear business value that's been created. And also, finally, we have enough computation power and data. I think the technologies used today, a, a lot of it was invented in the 80s and 90s. But uh, we just didn't have enough compute power and storage. And now it seems like the AI applications have the following properties. First is that they work with data, they work better with more data, and they're insatiable. So the more data, the better it gets. Secondly, with sufficient data, AI is beating people now in many narrow tasks, tasks like comprehension, exam, examination, speech recognition, object and face recognition, and we all know about uh, chess and Go. So on these narrow tasks, are they're creating real commercial value because you can plug speech recognition to do uh, customer service kinds of applications, and not to mention internet. When we look at the valuations of Google, Amazon, and uh, Facebook, and uh, the Chinese companies, Alibaba and Tencent, much of their valuation was possible because they have AI. Because AI allows internet companies to target users with ads commerce, and commerce. And AI is trainable to have an objective function that with the bottom line of make more money. Imagine giving a CEO a tool that says, here's all the input, here comes a user, what should we show the user to maximize our revenue or profit? And that's what made these internet companies amazingly profitable because they were able to convert data plus usage pattern into uh, higher revenues. And so when you talk about the availability of data as being, because the more data you have, the better trained the algorithms can become. Yeah. I mean, effectively what we're talking about is machine learning broadly. Is that right? That's right. And so where are we in terms of, you know, is this the tip of the iceberg? Are we in the middle of the iceberg? In terms of how much further this stuff can go, how many tasks we will be able to point this thing at, and it will just be able to do it better than humans. There will be a lot of uh, opportunities and upside. We are just at the very beginning tip of the iceberg. Internet applications is the first set of applications, but we can see AI making a big impact to any domain with a large amount of data. So bank, investment, insurance, retail, manufacturing, uh, healthcare, education, it, all of them can be data-driven, producing higher user satisfaction, reducing costs. So I think we're just at the very, very beginning, and the applications will be essentially every industry will event, that has data will eventually be able to build on AI and extract value. 
Now, having said that, there are many, many things that humans can do that the current set of AI technologies cannot do. So the current AI technologies are very powerful as a tool that will create tremendous value, but it is nowhere close to the human capabilities of dealing with complexity, strategy, creativity, compassion, self-awareness. So this is not at all saying that we're anywhere close to uh, replacing human capabilities. In the past, you talked about this idea that it might be something on the order of 40% of today's jobs. Not talking about the new jobs that may be created, right? but looking at kind of the world today, that something like 40% could be basically automated away. That's right. Not necessarily the whole job, maybe a large part of it. And this is uh, basically routine jobs. So people who have jobs that are creative in nature or people interaction in nature, they have nothing to worry about. People doing jobs that are non-routine, complex, they don't have to worry about it. But if the job is either white-collar job that is dealing with repetitive tasks, such as uh, telemarketing, uh, customer service, or back office jobs that are trying to glue together different data, the repetitive work that is being done for anywhere from new employee orientation to checking on uh, insurance claims and doing basic research on uh, financial analysis to doing internal uh, accounting, human resources, legal tasks. Every company, every large company has a significant part of the workforce doing repetitive routine work that can be partially and eventually maybe mostly automated. And I I think that is a a significant number when it comes to uh, physical labor. Also, if it's a stationary task that doesn't require a huge amount of dexterity, such as um, moving boxes in the warehouse, picking items to put in the Amazon box to ship to you, and simple assembly, simple visual inspection, those will all be displaced with much lower cost and high, probably higher accuracy with AI. And then when we move to their tougher jobs, such as um, drivers, right? Close to 10% of the people do driving as a task, if not as a job. And it may take 20 plus years to automate that, but that's going to happen as well. So when we add all these up, it's a significant number. That leads to two questions. One is, you're based in China now, correct? Yes. There's a lot of of talk these days about AI ethics. I was just at Stanford last Mm. month at the launch of the Stanford Human Centered AI Institute. And there's a lot of worry about China has a very different approach to human rights or what the state can or can't do. Is it markedly different the way AI is being developed there and how it will be used and what does that mean more broadly because they're obviously going to start exporting. I mean, TikTok is kind of like the uh, the thin end of the wedge. Yeah, TikTok is an AI app actually. It's a frivolous, fun, um, short-form video social network that came came from China and it uses AI to, to target kind of things you might be interested in. I think when it comes to, let's say, data privacy and protecting the the, the users from transgressions against that, China actually has a number of uh, pretty good uh, laws about the sale of data and also regulations that are not quite GDPR, but they're actually being put in place. Also, the Chinese Ministry of Science and Technology is putting together basically 
how to build responsible AI, and it doesn't look a lot different from from U.S. and Europe. Certainly, there are applications that are、uh, in China that are not viewed as、uh, appropriate in the U.S., but some of it may be. Different cultural background, and some of it may be different forms of government. I wouldn't attribute this to an AI issue per se. Right. So, so for things like the AI ethics that are being considered in China, when then you juxtapose that to things like I was reading the other day about a a project to create a facial recognition system that could basically recognize all 1.3 billion people in the country. That feels very Big Brother, and people reading it here would be like. Ooh, that's really scary. Especially if they start, if you know that is then sold to other governments around the world, for example. Yeah, I, I don't think you can perfectly accurately recognize that many people. Yeah. But yes, the ability of recognizing people by machines is clearly better than any individual can do. That's already happened. For example, at a、uh, Chinese concert, where the singer Jackie Chung. From Hong Kong, went to China and sang at four concerts. I think twenty-three people, criminals, were arrested as a result、really? as a result of、uh, facial recognition being connected to the criminal database.、Uh, I think people just didn't expect. These are people who are most wanted. They just didn't expect that at the concert because you know when you're hiding from the police, you're probably need to get get out sometime. You figure concert's pretty safe. And you know these、um, capability of these systems are very very accurate. No human police could remember the fifty thousand or a hundred thousand people in the most wanted database. So it is a arguably a double edged sword. Where I think if you were to ask a Chinese citizen, what do you feel about this concert that arrested a lot of people? I think you will get、uh, near unanimous. Feedback that any loss of privacy, with the benefit of security, by arresting criminals, is a trade-off people would put up with. And in the U.S. or Europe, if you do that survey, you may not, you probably will not get the same answer. Yeah, and that's what I, what I think is really interesting. I was talking to a physicist the other day, and he made a, a comparison to the nuclear bomb. Insofar as that, he said there was this thing called the Pugwash Conference that in the 50s, the world's top scientists on both sides. Got together informally, crossing the kind of Cold War lines, and came up with a set of this is Albert Einstein and others came up with a set of policy recommendations to then give to their governments. Be like, this is a good way for us to keep us blowing our, ourselves up,、mm. or keeping the peace, or you know, these are some rules we should really think about because this technology is kind of existentially scary. Yeah, I think it should be more than the scientists. It should be scientists, philosophers, ethicists, sociologists, with the precondition that they all understand each other's point without jumping in and reach conclusions,、uh, which happens、uh, time to time from any one of the constituents, and also with the further condition that there is an understanding that different cultures may not have the same universal values. And I do think we can come up with enough commonality as a starting point, but I think to basically enforce with one set of Western or Eastern set of values is likely to reach an unproductive outcome, because I think people truly do feel differently. One could argue whether they feel differently because of the form of government or and so on, but it is not a one size fit all. That's important、uh, to recognize. And also, I think we should start on problems that have、um, truly existential implications. I, I would say autonomous weapons is probably one 
that we should do that. It's, again, it's not a purely AI issue, but the fact that one could imagine a massive number of autonomous entities that may be drones, autonomous vehicles, and, and other things that could result in mass destruction without a human in the loop. That would be probably closest to the nuclear case. And if one wanted to go for the most uh, serious uh, outcome that relates to our existential future, then maybe start with that one. And that's all the more reasons countries and governments have to engage rather than just build up. Very interesting recent uh, paper that I read talks about engagement being very important between government because a lot of people think about AI and uh, other autonomous weapons as an um, arms race, see who can get stronger. But actually, the existential issues will not come from stronger dominating, but come from inadvertence or errors in the system that mistakenly, right. nobody wants to destroy another country. But if it's autonomously done, then that raises a lot of issues. So more engagement, I think, is needed. And just speaking on that broader point, is there... Is this a historic shift that we are in the midst of or on the cusp of in terms of because we've had the Industrial Revolution, which changed societies, kind of countries, hold the whole kind of balance of power in the world? <clears throat> is AI a similar force or a more powerful force? Let's say this similar to Industrial Revolution or electricity, but it has the property that it's going to be built up faster because with electricity, it took decades to build the electrical grid. And then it took a long time for people to have electricity in their homes. Then came the appliances. And a century, a century later, we finally have electrical cars. AI, on the other hand, is becoming easier and easier to program. A smart college computer science student can build AI now, and the entry level is coming lower and lower. Also, AI runs on the cloud. So if you have Google Cloud or Amazon AWS, it just works. You don't have to build a new infrastructure like the electrical grid. It is arguably you know, similar kinds of impact as electricity, maybe larger, maybe smaller, but it can come faster. So right. I think we have to be prepared for all the uh, implications. Well, you, and then the title of your book, it's AI Superpowers. Do you see this playing out politically as well as a kind of, because it's a, People like Mark Benioff saying, you know, AI should be a new human right. Those who have it will be better off, will be richer, will be more powerful than those who do not or do not have access to it. Do you see this playing out as a kind of becoming a, a political question as well? Well, geopolitical issue, certainly, because uh, AI, like most uh, technologies, PC, mobile, Internet, all exacerbate inequality, inequality within a society, so arguably some of the divisiveness in various countries uh, due to the haves and have-not gaps becoming larger will get exacerbated by AI. Job displacement for the routine workers while billionaires are made in three or five years from an AI startup. I think that is a big issue within countries like U.S. and China. I also think U.S. and China can take care of their own people, but there are many other countries which don't have the brilliant AI and other tech companies to 
basically get out of uh, poverty or developing status and yet have a lot of routine workers who had been hoping to follow the China model or the India model. But those jobs of outsourced manufacturing and uh, process, outsourcing and IT and call center outsourcing, they're all going to be taken over by AI over time. So I think the issues of how would a poorer nation with a lot of people and not a lot of technology move forward in the new era, I think those are issues we, we have to deal with. I think there's too much obsession on the uh, superpower competition, will U.S. or China win? I think U.S. and China have already each won because of its current uh, technological progress. Now we need to think about within U.S. and China how to deal with the job displacements and then across the world, how to deal with the countries that, that don't have the AI superpower but have large populations doing routine work uh, facing displacement. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Is there a possibility here that you have a kind of a new era of almost AI colonialism <clears throat> where you have the U.S. and China going out to the world and saying, all right, well, you can have this system that helps a criminal sentencing algorithm or whatever it may be to help your government work better, et cetera, that there will be a kind of almost a, a spreading of tentacles that way yeah, between superpowers. Creating a deep, strong dependency of the smaller countries uh, on U.S. or China and I don't think that's a good outcome to have. Do you um, see that happening already, or the beginnings of that? Probably not, not yet. AI, not yet for AI, but for, for mobile, it's happening, right? Most countries outside U.S. and China currently depend on mostly U.S. technologies. They use uh, Facebook, and things happen in the country, good and bad, because they use Facebook. <laughs> Google also, but that's arguably le- le- you know, more of a tool. And the Chinese products are going to get more mature. We talked about TikTok, and there will be other products and financial and and others that will go to more countries. And I think a bifurcated world with two internets is not an ideal outcome, but uh, consolidation is good. Two is better than five, but more standards would be better. But I I think we're currently uh, probably not headed there. Right. Is there any example that immediately jumps to mind in terms of you talked earlier about electricity it was kind of a slow burn in many ways. This won't, won't be that way. Are there any examples that jump to mind that can kind of illustrate just how quickly things are developing or moving, whether that's one company has done or one app or whatever, just to kind of 
illustrate that? Sure. The best Chinese example is a mobile payment. People might say that's not AI. That's that's boring, but it really isn't, because by getting rid of credit cards and cash in China,、uh, neither of which are much used anymore. That's just they're kind of on they're on the the way of the dodo. They're going extinct. Right. Their retailers don't accept cash, and their retailers that don't accept credit cards increasingly in China, maybe not in the large cities, but if you go to smaller cities, that because mobile payments so、uh, standard. So what that leads to is that. People essentially live on virtual currency. People pay less commissions to the likes of Mastercard and Visa, and startups can easily make money because when you make a startup, you can immediately charge money if you have something that's worth paying. You don't have to build up 10 million users and figure out a business model later. You can immediately、uh, make money. So it's great for entrepreneurism, and also the data that you gather. Uh, can be tremendously useful, so that Alibaba and Tencent, the two big suppliers of mobile payment, are now offering financial products. So why should people, if you have virtual currency that's deposited in mobile with no commission, so draws you into using it, then when you need money, why would you borrow from a bank? Why wouldn't you borrow from the Alibaba lending company and the Tencent lending company? And when it's all AI driven, people would have personalized loan rates. A more dependable person would have a lower rate, and a riskier person would have a higher rate. There would be no loan officers in between, so the bid ask spread, the arbitrage is all gone. So people will essentially have a totally disintermediated financial environment.、Uh, your investments can be done through that platform. Your borrowing, your finances, startups will be built on that, and essentially this becomes a very strong cornerstone for developing a new financial ecosystem. In China, and then longer term, the world potentially. Well, yes. It, feels, it feels like you know,、um, for example, in Africa, yes, skip the telecoms and go straight to the mobile phone, and、yes. now people are living more and more through their phone. Africa actually already had uh, M-Pesa uh, even before China did,、uh, although it was built on feature phones and isn't as powerful. It's basically by text,、yeah. so it needs to be、um, updated. There are also other countries like Norway; they have their mobile payment. Actually, I think U.S. needs to figure out a way to get rid of the taxes paid to credit cards and move on with mobile payment. Otherwise, the entrepreneurial ecosystem is disadvantaged, and that the whole financial、uh, waves of innovation、uh, will be stifled. Are you worried about any of the dystopic elements here? Because, like, when you think about, for example, like the I think it's the social credit score that some places are working on in China,、mm-hmm. where if you're, you know. Don't go see your mother. You might get a worse credit card rate or something like that. <laughs> not, not that extreme. <laughs>、uh, mostly, it's、uh, people who haven't paid back their loans and who have bad credits are disadvantaged in financially. Just like people in the U.S. are when they want to、uh, buy a house or、um, borrow money. It's not、money. like they can't get into the first class well, cabin of a train. Well, that is no, no. There are some additional outcomes、uh, in China that raise red flags in Western countries. Interestingly. We should we should get sociologists to look into this because if you do a poll of the average Chinese in the street, and I think some magazine was it Wired or some other magazine talk, wrote, wrote an article piece on that, the Chinese users feel this:、um, if you ha- rewarding good behavior and punishing bad behavior in a system that's run by the a trusted government, trusted in the sense that it's it's fair, is viewed to be a positive thing. Yet, I think it triggers、uh, concern in almost、uh, 
anyone you talk to in the U.S. In yeah, Europe. absolutely. Well, it, that's it kind of makes you think, well, is I think it's going to necessarily go slower here because our concerns are kind of more broad. Yeah, I, I think some of it traces back to China being a collectivist society where people have always believed the greater good of the society trumps the individualism. Whereas the Western uh, Magna Carta and the U.S. Uh, you know, Declaration of Independence are built on individual liberties. Some of it is based on that. Some of it may be based on trust or distrust of other governments that Chinese people have actually generally trusted their government. And I think American people start with a, a healthy mistrust, which is what keeps the checks and balances. So some of it is, is cultural, but, but no doubt developing the ultimate system to rate each person has dangerous dystopian outcomes if extrapolated. And uh, we'll have to see what checks and balances might be put in place by governments that go down that route. And are you concerned about this question of AI bias? More and more it's a discussion you hear here in the States around, and there's lots of quite disturbing examples of like, you know, a sentencing algorithm that is much harsher on black people than white for similar crimes and things like this. Yes. Um, Amazon's resume scanning tool yeah. that actually was biased against women yeah. because it was using data that had mostly men in it. Yeah. Is that a concern? And how do we deal with that? Because it does feel like if we're talking about machine learning, it's only as good as the data upon which it is trained. That's correct. But it's just, uh, I think these are careless mistakes in a discipline that hasn't had a lot of rigor. And with rigor, actually, AI will eventually be the most unbiased compared to people. So let's first talk about what, what we can do. Well, in programming, you know, any programmer would tell you they've been taught not to use go-to statements because that makes the programs much more buggy. But earlier programmers love to use go-to statements because those are very convenient. And then gradually people said, let's get rid of them. So eventually programming languages don't even have go-to anymore. So that's an example of how programming became more rigorous. And similarly, AI programmers just wanted to build something that worked and they weren't told or taught that a balanced data set is a requirement. Otherwise, essentially, you're creating a buggy program. So maintaining a balanced, racially balanced, gender balanced database and training is, is critical. Otherwise, the application should not be deployed. Or there should be mechanisms when your data is not balanced to change the priors so that the, the data set that you have less examples of gets some kind of a boosting. So there are many ways to deal with it. It's just that AI programming needs to have more rigor built in. I think that's what needs to happen in the coming years. Let me also say that once the rigor is built in and the data set is balanced, I think AI will be a lot less biased than people. Um, and that's the problem is that it's designed by people initially, and that's what you have to get right. It's actually the people who bias the data, whether because people had biases when they labeled the data, or they had biases when they collected the data. But, but once you get rid of that, because AI is uh, very, very, it's purely pragmatic. It is also outcome driven. So it has no prejudices. So outcome driven means that it would determine whether to give a loan to someone or to, hi or to consider hiring someone uh, purely based on similar people uh, with similar profiles having performed well uh, when loan is given or when a job is given. So a good resume screening tool should be built on existing employees and their performance. 
and people who well, that was fired. the thing with the Amazon is it's mostly white male guys right. who work there. So they traded yes. on that data, and so yes. the algorithm said, well, obviously men are better than women. Yeah, so that's why the balance the balance along would have would have uh, fixed that. Well, gender diversity should have been consideration to, be, to begin with, but um, uh, some people worry about the noise. Actually, when you're outcome driven labeled, that is high performance, low performance, people who retain the job, who people who are fired, people who returned the loan, people who defaulted. So when you label it based on outcome, AI is incredibly good at optimizing. And even if you throw in feature sets that seem um, silly, it doesn't matter because the AI algorithm will figure out how to smartly combine the feature sets so as to optimize your minimize the default rate, maximize the high performance And rate. not exacerbate these divisions that That's might right. be baked into data that isn't kind right. of very carefully and, and then if curated. You, but if you still feel that the society has mistreated a certain minority group and that you want to make up for it, well, you can go in and remove the feature. If you feel really strongly that even if, let's say, race is a determinant of um, defaulting on the loan. It is just wrong to use that as a consideration. Well, then remove it from the data. Then you have an AI system that's racially blind. So it is possible to do. Whereas with people, you can't go into someone's brain and say, right. you know, don't consider that. And then just lastly, you hear anything from Elon Musk when he talks about AI, which of course he is helping to develop with Tesla and everything else. Um, he says this is like summoning the demon. This is an existential threat to humanity. Mm. And I think what he's thinking, talking about there is artificial general intelligence, this AI that can truly think for itself and do so on a level that we can't even contemplate. And at that point, we kind of become the pets or the mascots. Yes, I have you- heard that theory. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? I think that theory currently has no engineering basis. It's not impossible for that to be a theory. It's not impossible. Someone develops artificial general intelligence in 20 years, 30 years. However, we currently are so far from it. Uh, The current AI is just merely a really smart pattern recognition algorithm that can make really smart, optimized choices and help people make money and save time, increase efficiency. It doesn't have any of the human elements that we associate with being a human. Properties like dealing with complex information, planning, strategizing, creativity, self-awareness, emotions, compassion, trust, all love, you know, all these things, we have no idea where to build them. So if we're, you know, marching down a 100-mile path towards artificial general intelligence, you know, we're at the one or two-mile mark, and there's no clear path to conquering the next 98, 99 miles. People have to figure out where the road is. So it's, There's a lot of things yeah. that still have to be kind of breakthroughs that need to happen. Yeah, there really has been one big breakthrough, and that's deep learning. In order to get to AGI, we'll probably need 10 or 20 more breakthroughs and that, that's hard to predict when that will happen because breakthroughs yeah. can't be planned. And so, sorry, I said that was the last question. I do have one more, and that's on the future of work. Mm. So we talked about that 40% number. And I was looking at a study that the Brookings Institution did, 1980 to 2016, which is the rise of the PC, the Internet, offshoring, et cetera. In America, we actually created net something like 50 million new jobs. Yeah. The problem 
is that the new <coughs> jobs aren't as good as the old ones. That there's been a hollowing out right. of these middle class, kind of mid, middle paid jobs that you could work at and have a decent living. AI feels like that's only going to make that worse. And I don't know if that's true. And if things like universal basic income or something like that, are we going to have to start taking those type of steps? I think AI will exacerbate uh, inequality in the short term. As more and more people in routine jobs are displaced by AI, they face the big, big issue of there are many more jobs made available, but are they up for it? Are they, do they have the skill sets? And who's going to um, help them train for the right ones? See, when um, the manufacturing and industrial revolution came, came about, people who were displaced, let's say, on the farm were able to find a routine manufacturing job. And then when new, new, new things came out, people could find another job that's routine. But AI will basically eradicate routine jobs over time. So the challenge for us is how to offer the training for the people to move on and how to fix the education so the kids don't fall into an unemployable state. I think these are the big issues. Universal basic income without a component that addresses this issue will not work because people aren't just going to, out of their knowledge of AI, know what field to go into. And people who are given free money are likely to use it and spend it on things that could be addictive or games or uh, alcohol and, and so on. And also the feeling that every job one could get seems to be taken by more and more AI will cause a lot of depression and issues. So I think a thoughtful approach, whether it's by the government or by corporations, to help retrain the existing workforce and uh, starting to for us to think about what education needs to be, the skill sets that are needed for the late 21st century are things that we really have to do now. So completely rethinking education effectively. On the one hand, completely rethinking, but also realizing you can't just disrupt education. So a lot, of, a lot of it will have to be done outside the classroom. You know, making the classroom more efficient so the kids can have a fine to time to train the soft skills and have the teamwork skills and the creative skills and have out of class opportunities for engagement, encourage volunteerism, summer jobs. And a whole set of things need to be done outside the classroom because no, no one is optimistic that education can be disrupted in a decade. Yeah. But eventually, in a few decades, yes, the education has to be completely changed. That is all the time we have. I want to thank Kai-Fu Lee for taking the time to sit down. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly uh, came away with a few things to chew on, not least autonomous weapons. That's scary. Just the, these very differing approaches to AI between China and the West and you know how far we can take it, where, where it can be applied, where it can't, where it shouldn't, where it should. I think these are all very hairy questions that we're going to probably be dealing with sooner than we think. But anyhow, that is all for me this week. I will be, actually, I think I'm taking a week off from writing this week because I've got another project on the go, which we will talk about very soon. But in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson. Generally, if you want to look at any of the other stuff I've written, check out thetimes.co.uk. And that is it. I will leave you till next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.